What we're going to look at today makes me think about the world we live in today. You look at the news, you look at what is going on in our country, in the world around us, and it is chaotic. Morality in our country is going down the tubes. Spirituality is going crazy. The church is compromising. Justice, righteousness and goodness is it's being warped and twisted to where, you know, I, I grew up being told that the Bible talks about how in the last days people will call good evil and evil good. But now we live in a time where people are calling good evil and evil good and we see it all around us, right? And things are just going crazy and there's such wickedness and evil that permeates our society. Um, Last week, or last week, yesterday, um, you know, you, you look at the evil and you look at the garbage and you look at the decline of our nation and the world and it's just frustrating. But Jennifer and I, we went to see uh, the movie um, Sound of Freedom. And I don't know if any of you have seen it. It is incredible and it's hard because it's about child trafficking. And um, the wickedness that is in our world. But the thing, one of the things that hit me so hard that I did not realize was the United States, our country, is the prominent marketer of child slavery, sex industry, and pornography. It's not some other nation out there in the Middle East or the Far East or South America. It's our own nation that is so depraved and wicked that we're the ones that are promoting the abuse of children. And it's like, wow. And what we're going to look at today, what we see here is the same stuff we're seeing here in, in our nation and in our world. Sacrificing children, that was something that was being done back in, in Jerusalem and Judea and Israel, and the pagans did it. Sacrificing children to the Baals, to Molech and other gods. Child prostitution as children who were unwanted were taken and being used in, for the, the pagan temple worship and stuff and abused. Idolatry, perversion, rejecting the things of God. It's the same story just 2,000 years later, 3,000 years later. And when we dial in, we're going to begin in the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is, is looking at the world in which he lives. He's looking at Jerusalem. He's looking at Judah. And it's like everything is falling apart. And there's such wickedness and such vileness and violence. And 
he's so frustrated and he cries out to God and his prophecies are kind of unique in that it's not just God saying, thus saith the Lord. He's turning to God and it's a dialogue. It's like, God, this is messed up and I don't understand it. And why are you fixing it? Have you ever looked at our world and our society and gone, God, this is messed up. This is wrong. And I don't understand. Why don't you do something? That's where Habakkuk was. And it was breaking his heart and he was frustrated. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at how to live during dark, tumultuous times. How are we to live our lives in the midst of such darkness? We find out here in this dialogue between Habakkuk and the Lord. And then going back to Jeremiah and both of them are contemporaries, okay? So, again, God is bringing in, you know, the prophets at this time of Judah's history again to say, hey, look, I am going to discipline you for your sins as well as the nations for their sins. So chapter 1 of Habakkuk, listen to what he says. Chapter 1, verse 1. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted I look at that and it's like wow that's America today justice is perverted morality is in the trash can everything is just so messed up and Habakkuk is going I don't get this why aren't you doing something and so God responds to him in verse 5 he says look among the nations and see Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march throughout the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. And then he begins to go on about their character and how the, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans are. And the first thing that we need to remember as we're living in these days and we're seeing these things going on around us is that it may not look like it, but God is working. Remember, the prophets are pointing the people to God's endgame and what God is doing and warning them and even encouraging them and pleading with them to get right so that God doesn't have to judge so that God doesn't have to drop the hammer on them, but they're not listening. But we need to remember amidst all the stuff that we see, God is working and he's moving everything toward his desired plan and end. And so he's saying to Habakkuk, I'm going to use the Babylonians 
to do my work? How am I going to deal with all this violence and injustice and garbage that's being done by Judah? I'm going to bring in the Babylonians. Now, look at Habakkuk's response. This is in verse 12. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So what's, what's Habakkuk saying there? When God says, look, I'm going to do something and you're not going to believe it. I'm bringing in the Babylonians to discipline my people. His response is, you've got to be kidding. They are wicked, evil people. And so you're going to use people worse than us to discipline us? Now, we normally think, you know, that the person doing the disciplining is more righteous or more just than we are, right? I mean, can you imagine, like, having somebody being convicted of a crime and the law allowing criminals who are worse exercise discipline upon the convict rather than the judge? That seems kind of messed up. And that's what Habakkuk is saying to the Lord. It's like, this, this doesn't make sense. You're holy, you're righteous. You don't look upon evil, but you're going to let people more evil than us judge us? I don't get it. Have you ever had those times when you're talking with the Lord about the things going on in the world around you? Or in your own personal life and you go, I don't get this. Asa, King Asa had this problem. He was like, God, you know, I do everything right. I serve you. I love you. I follow you. I care about you. And I'm suffering. And all these wicked kings, they're doing great. I don't get it. It's hard to understand sometimes what God is doing and why. But God's got good things in store. We just don't see them yet. And that's what Jeremiah is going to see later on. Also Habakkuk, okay? So he's confused. It's like, this does not make sense. So we go down to chapter 2, verse 1. And he says, now he's just made this complaint to the Lord. And he says, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. It's like, okay, I've said it. There it is. It's out in the open. Now we'll see what God has to say and how I'm going to respond. And God responds in verse 2 with encouragement. Write the vision. Make a plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It surely will come. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So God says, Habakkuk, I want you to write this down on a tablet. I want you to put it in writing so that as the people are going through these difficult times, they're going to be able to look at this 
and be encouraged and run the race. Same thing God tells Daniel. Okay, Daniel's going to be showing up in, in just a few years. And God tells Daniel, put these things in a book. It's not for now. It's for the end times so that the people can be encouraged when those times are upon them. When God had John write the book of Revelation, it was to encourage the people of God in a dark time. Hey, this is where it's going to end up. The second coming of Jesus and his reign forever. That's where it's all going. And that's where God's going to show through Jeremiah. It's going to be taken care of in God's time frame. And you notice he says, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You can't help but think about 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And this is when Peter's talking about how the prophecy of the Lord coming back, his second coming, and setting up his millennial kingdom, then judging the nations, judging Satan, and then establishing a new heaven and a new earth. And people say, where's the promise of his coming? From the times of the prophets, it's always been the same thing. He's coming. He's coming. He's going to set it right. And we don't see anything happening. And in chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slow concerning his promises. His timing is perfect. And he says he desires that none perish, but that all come to repentance. God's heart is for the people of the world to turn to the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ so that they can find forgiveness and hope and eternal life. That's what we see as he's crying out to the people of Israel, saying, hey, come on. I don't want to judge and discipline you. So repent, follow me. Ezekiel cries out to the people a couple of times, and God is saying through him, please, be zealous and repent. I don't take any delight in the death of the wicked. If God didn't want people to go to hell, or if he wanted people to go to hell, he would not have sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. So that whoever would believe in him will not be judged, but have eternal life. That's his heart. And that's why he stays his hand. It's like a parent, you know, it's like, what parent wants to discipline their children? What parent wants to send them to bed without supper? What parent wants to spank them? What parent wants to whatever? Parents want to bless their children, but discipline is a part of love. And it's just. But God's heart he, he is very patient. And through all of this, how do we live? The righteous live by faith. Habakkuk's going, I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust God. I don't get it, but I'm going to trust God. And that's what we see in chapter 3 as it wraps up. 
And God is talking about the things that he's going to bring upon the people of Judah and upon on the people. And Habakkuk turns around and starts worshiping the Lord. Chapter 3 is praise and worship. And in chapter 17, or chapter 3, verse 17, here's another principle, okay? So if we're going to live well in dark times and troubled times, we live by faith. We trust God, okay? We don't have the answers, but we're going to trust him. And we're going to rejoice in him, all right? So it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Basically, if everything just falls apart, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Now, the word there for rejoice, okay? What does it mean to rejoice? This word means to jump up and down for joy. All right? So picture people at a Packers game when the Packers win, okay? Or a Brewers game when the Brewers win. There's a home run. People are jumping up and down for joy. For something as small as a ball going over a wall. Okay. Wonderful. That's great. I'm, by the way, I'm not a sports fan. I don't get it. Um, it's just like, great, you got that ball down the field. That's, that's fantastic. Um, it's just not my thing. Okay. And that's okay. All right, I'm not dogging it, but we get so excited for somebody throwing a ball through a hoop. Okay, now, I can't do that. And Giancarlo, we were playing basketball last, last weekend, and oh my word, I was, so, it, I was bad. So, you know, I just can't do it, all right? And yes, it's a talent, but in the grand scheme of things, what value is making a basket or a touchdown? There's a little bit of excitement, a little bit of happiness when it's your team. But the word here is to jump for joy in the God of my salvation. Oh my word, why should I jump in down for joy? Because I am saved by the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I am adopted and a son and an heir of the things of heaven. And no matter how dark and bleak the world is, I should be joyful. I'm not, okay? And I want to make that clear. I wish I was. And as I was reading this, I'm like, Lord, I should be doing this. Look at what I have in you. And it doesn't matter what's going on or how the job's working or my work day or, you know, if the car's running or not. It shouldn't matter because I'm yours and you're mine. And that's a beautiful place to be. And he says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Rejoice in the Lord. Jump up and down in the Lord. And I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The word there for take joy means to spin around in glee. Okay, now it's like, what does that look like? The first thing that came to mind to me was Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music 
running up the mountainside, okay, what, 8,000 feet in the Austrian Alps, and she is spinning around and singing with joy, okay? Or when she's going down the street, it's like there's a few different places in that movie where she is spinning, singing songs, and being happy. And that's the picture here. So happy that we're basically dancing. You know, the God of my salvation. I will not face his wrath and his judgment because he loves me so much. He cares about me and you to where he gave the best of heaven, his begotten son, only begotten son, to take our sins away and to make us his kids. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. And we should be, I shouldn't say should, because it's like, okay, you got to perform it. My prayer is that we would understand the love and the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God so much it would be so real and so tangible to us that we just, we're in love. And when the rest of the world is hurting and everything, they can look at us and go, how come you're so calm? They're going to lay off 50 of us from work next month. Hey, you know, I know, and that's, that's crazy, but my, my father's got it. He loves me. He loves you too. You know? Hey, you're dying. Why, why are you so happy? You just got given, you know, three months to live. Why are you so happy? Because I'm going home. I'm going home to see my daddy. You know? Really? See, but we're so tied to this world, we don't really understand the full power and beauty of the life to come. And so he says, I will jump up and down for joy in the Lord. I will spin around in joy and glee in the God of my salvation. So it's not in circumstances. It's not in what's going on around us. That joy, everything comes in the Lord. It's in him, which means we've got to be in that relationship with him. He says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. It's not our strength that will get us through these things. It's the Lord's strength in us. It's us relying upon him. And when I think about him saying, you know, he will set my feet on high places and make my feet like the deer's, um, you know, you look at a deer and they're sure-footed and the terrain can be rocky and rough. It can be unstable, but a deer can navigate that stuff like crazy. Now I was thinking about it here, you know, I've, we were, I was taking Hannah to the women's conference and first time I've actually seen deer that were not splattered on the side of the road. You know, they were running in front of my car and it's like, wow, okay. But you watch them just go and I'm watching their, their speed and their, their sure-footedness and all. And it's been a while since I've watched a deer, okay? Now, when we lived in Colorado, 
deer were all over the place and we lived in the mountains and you watch the deer and they can do some crazy stuff on some crazy terrain. But then I was thinking about the mountain goats that used to live near where we were and they're nuts. They can go where people fear to tread, you know, unless they don't have all the rappelling gear and everything and the climbing gear. They can stand on little crags and little rocks and little things, and they can bolt up sheer cliffs. And you go, whoa. And that's the way I think the Lord wants us to be in him. When we are strengthened by him and we are held by him and we're living in that relationship with him, we can navigate some really crazy times and turf. And that's how we can get through the things that we're seeing in our world today. Now, go over to Jeremiah chapter 26, and we're going to hit some things on living. Okay, so we can live in these times by faith, trusting the Lord, relying on the Lord, engaging the Lord. And then we live out a life, and the way it ends up that we're going to see today it's kind of a mind blower. It's kind of crazy in a good way. So if we're going to live by faith in dark times and we're going to walk in the ways of God in dark times, chapter 26 of the book of Jeremiah, the first thing is speak God's word. Okay? Now understand, he's talking, Jeremiah is going to be talking to the people of God in the temple. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to churchgoers, if you will. Okay, look at this. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you to speak to them, do not hold back a word. It may be they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way. Well, wait, this is church. This is the temple. Yeah, and they're living contrary to the will and the word of God. Maybe they will turn from their evil deeds. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I have set before you and listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent to you urgently, Though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. Shiloh is in reference to where the tabernacle was put. And when Israel was not walking with the Lord, the Philistines came in. They took the Ark of the Covenant back to the land of the Philistines. And basically, in Israel's mind, God was no longer there. God had forsaken them. God had left the nation. And it became desolate. And God's saying, look, if you don't listen to my word, I'm going to discipline you. And you notice that he says to Jeremiah, don't hold back a word. We live in a time where churches pick and choose what they want to hear, what is politically correct, 
what is pleasing, what makes you feel good, but not necessarily what the Lord is saying. Paul said, I have not shunned, I have not ceased to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I give it all to you, not pick and choose. And so as believers in dark times and to the church, not just people who are unsaved, but people who go to church and are unsaved or not walking with the Lord, we need to teach the word. We need to say what the Bible says. And I want to encourage you, you don't have to have a master's degree or a theological degree to say what the Bible says. And you don't have to debate it. I know for me so often it's like, yeah, but God says this and the Bible says this and it's, you know, it says this and this verse and this and this chapter and this is what this word means. And the bottom line is if a person does not want to hear what God is saying, you can give all the proof from Scripture and they still aren't going to listen. We don't find really the prophets trying to argue that it's really God's word. It's just, this is the way it is. This is what God's saying and you need to listen. And then it's in their court. So in times like we're living now and all the time, we need to just speak the word of God and hold nothing back. I'm not talking about being mean, but we get so afraid of, well, what will people think if I bring up that because it's not comfortable. God cares about our walk with him and our eternal life. He tells us things that are not easy to hear, but they're good to hear. Going on to chapter 27. When we're in troubled times, when we're seeing things go crazy in the world around us, understand that God is in control of the nations, okay? Chapter 27, verse 5. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth. And I gave it and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now, I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. The many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. So God's laying it out. It's like, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm in control of all this. And everybody is going to submit to Nebuchadnezzar and then his son and then his grandson, Belshazzar. Then at that time, I'm going to bring in other kings, Darius and Cyrus, the Medes and the Persians, and they are going to discipline those that are disciplining you. Habakkuk was having a hard time. I don't get this. Well, God's saying here, look, I will discipline those that I'm using to discipline you. God is just and God is fair. And I think we need to really remember that in this world that we're living in, what's happening in Russia, what's happening in China, what's happening in the Middle East, South America, Central America, wherever it is in our own country, God is the one who is in control. God is the one who is sovereign. And we know where this is all ending up. Revelation tells us. Daniel tells us. Jeremiah tells us. Isaiah tells us. Jesus tells us. It's ending up 
with a new heaven, a new earth, and all things set right with Christ and the Father at the center. It's all going to be good. It's going to take some time. But God is moving everything in that direction. So we have that reminder that during these times we need to be remembering that God is in control. The next thing is found in chapter 29, verse 5. And this is something that I've seen people have a really hard time with. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 5. God says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take daughters, multiply, uh, I'm sorry, wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. So God's saying, when you go into Babylon, I want you to settle in. We got 70 years there. Settle in, make your home, build your families, okay? I don't want you to decrease. I want you to increase. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus is the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So the false prophets were saying, no, no, it's just going to be a couple of years at best. You know, and we'll be back in the land. Don't worry about it. God has been saying 70 years. And so through Jeremiah, it's like, look, settle in the land. Settle down, build your families. You're going to be there for a while. And while you're there, seek the good of the city where I put you and pray for them. This is what we're told to do in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, first of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It is so easy for us to complain about the things that are going on. It's easy for us to complain about politics and politicians and injustices. But do we pray for those people? I remember one individual and I was teaching on praying for our leaders and stuff. And the guy was like, you know what? No, that person is wicked and I will not pray for them. It's like, then you're not obeying the Lord. Can you imagine if our politicians got born again and feared the Lord and held to the word of God? Would that be radical? You know, it would make a dramatic change. We're going to see something like that happen down the road in this story, in this account. See, 
when we engage, Christians have a tendency to put themselves in a bubble. We live, we do our Christian thing. And there's a world all around us that is lost. And they're looking for hope. They're scared. You know, we're scared and we have the Lord. We shouldn't be scared. We should be living in faith and joy and security of Jesus Christ who loves us. And I'm guilty of not doing that myself. But they don't have anything. But we live in our bubbles. We say, come to church. Jesus said, go. Go to them. Talk to them. Our neighbors, our classmates, our co-workers. Talk about Jesus. Let them know of the hope of Christ and salvation. You know? And so... With here, he's saying, engage where you live. Seek the good. Be a part of your community and pray for them. Paul says, pray because it's good for you. As God moves in their lives, it will bless you. Now, there's persecution and all of that. Yes, it happens. We'll see that. But this is what the Lord tells us to do. Do we do this? Or do we just complain or stay in our bubbles? Let us pray and engage instead during these times. Verse 10, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come to pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You know, we take that, Jeremiah 20, 11, 29, 11. Behold, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And we go, oh yeah, yeah. But we forget about the context. God was going to discipline them for their sin. And we need to understand that when God disciplines us, it's because he loves us and because he has a good plan and because he wants the best for us. So when we have that mindset, see, God will use the tumultuous times in the world around us and things in our own lives to purify us. And if we remember that, as we walk through this life, it will make things easier, that God is using these things for our good. We see that over in verse uh, 10 of chapter 30. God says, Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away. I'll bring you back and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid, for I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. The Lord's right in the midst of this judgment with them. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, judgment begins with the house of God. I was reading, Spurgeon was saying, you know, 
People expect Christians to be different, and we should be. People expect Christians to live a different life, and we should live a different life. And the Lord brings tribulation and hardship into our lives to purify us. A pastor, his name is David Guzik, he said the same fire that burns the straw purifies the gold. So in these tumultuous times that we're in, there's a dual effect. There is judgment upon wickedness, but there is purifying to those who yield to the hand of the Lord. And the church needs purification. Tribulation purges the church of posers, of wannabes. One of my favorite books is The Persecutor by Sergei Kordikov. I don't even know if you can get it anymore. But he was a KGB agent. And his mission, what he was tasked to do, was break up the underground church in the Soviet Union back in the 60s. And he would go in to break these things up when he would get word of where they were meeting. And they would go in and beat the Christians to a pulp. And there was one lady who was always there. And in one particular instance, he and his men beat her up mercilessly. And the next raid, who's there? She's there. And he's going, wait a minute. So then they do another raid. And they come in with guns. And he says, all right, everybody here who is not a Christian, you can go now. If you're a Christian, you stay and we're going to kill you. And a bunch of people left. There were a few that remained. And he and his men sat down, put their guns down and said, okay, now that the fake Christians are gone. Tell us about this Jesus. They came to Christ. Kordakov became an evangelist for the Lord, telling people about what God was doing and about salvation in Christ and speaking about what was happening in the Soviet Union. And this K, the same KGB he served put a hit out on him and they assassinated him. Persecution purges the tares and the chaff from the church. It's a good thing. It's hard, but it's good. And we live in a time where the church today, there's a lot of people, you know, people say, I hate Christians. I hate church. They're hypocrites. And you know what? We're human, yes. But one of the big problems is there's a lot of people in the church who bear the name of Christ who are not Christians. A lot of people. And they give God a bad name. When we lived in Israel, a lot of believers did not, they, they didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves believers because Christian had a link with the Crusades and what was done in the name of God and in the name of Jesus during the Crusades. And it didn't make a good foundation for witnessing about Jesus. So they're believers. Believers in what? Jesus. No, don't associate us with the Crusades. Associate us with the Messiah, Jesus. 
we have to understand that God uses difficult times, like the times we're in now, to say, okay, are we going to rise to the occasion and let the Lord work his ways in our lives, or are we not? God uses the same fire to purge the straw, burn the straw, and purify the gold. Chapter 31, verse 3. Remember this in the midst of troublesome times. Chapter 3, or 31, verse 3. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Part of God's love is his discipline and purging us of the junk. That old man, you know, as I get older and God reveals more about myself to me, there's a lot about me I don't like. And I wish God would just make it go away. But he's purging me. It's a process. It's hard. But because he loves us, he disciplines us. You know, what God says here is, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Remember how the scriptures tell us that God will never leave us or forsake us? Nothing can separate us from his love? Well, that's the truth. And when he says here, therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you, that's not what that says. That's not a good translation. Kind of gives the idea, but it really says, I have drawn you with loving kindness and affection. Okay? So the way it reads is, I have loved you with an everlasting love and drawn you with loving kindness and affection. He's not beating us. He's not trying to break us and hurt us and ruin us. It's with the bonds of love. He's trying to lead us to himself, lead us deeper into himself. And sometimes that love is in the form of discipline. But it's good for us. And there's hope in this. Now go over to chapter 38, verse 4. Jeremiah 38, verse 4. All right. If we're going to live for the Lord in difficult and troublous times, the truth is going to be seen as harmful, okay? We started back in 26, speak the word of God. Verse 4 of chapter 38, Then the official said to the king, let this man be put to death, for he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in the city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of this people, but their harm. And King Zedekiah said, okay, do with them whatever you want. They took, Zedekiah, they took Jeremiah and they put him down in a cistern that was full of mud and he sunk down to his armpits. And he was stuck in it. And they wanted to kill him. When we proclaim the word of God, people will see that as harmful. 
They don't want to hear it. It's not comfortable. It's not politically correct. It's life. It's truth. It's hope. It's pure. It's good. But people don't want it. The Pharisees didn't want what Jesus was saying. Herod didn't want what Jesus was saying. The nation didn't want what Jesus was saying. We need to understand that just because the world is lost and needing Christ, and we go out with the truth of God's word and the hope of Christ, it doesn't mean they're going to jump on the bandwagon with joy. We will receive opposition and persecution. Even in our country today, Christians are being labeled as people who push hate speech, intolerant, unloving, unkind. It's happening now. If we keep that in mind, we're not going to be surprised when it hits us. And we need to keep this in mind when it does happen. Don't fear man, fear God. Look at what happens over in verse 14. King Zedekiah sent to Jeremiah the prophet and received him at the third entrance of the temple of the Lord. The king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you a question. Hide nothing from me. Oh, didn't God say, don't hold back a single word? So now Zedekiah is saying, okay, I don't want you to hold back anything. Tell me, tell me everything, okay? Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, if I tell you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you counsel, will you not listen to me? Then King Zedekiah swore secretly to Jeremiah, as the Lord lives who made our souls, I will not put you to death or deliver you into the hand of these men who seek your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life shall be spared, and this city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. Okay, If you submit to his correction, it's going to be okay. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, now get this, I am afraid of the Judeans who have deserted to the Chaldeans, lest I be handed over to them, and they deal cruelly with me. Jeremiah said, you shall not be given to them. Obey now the voice of the Lord in what I say to you, and it shall be well with you, and your life shall be spared. He's like, dude, God said he's going to take care of you. Just obey him. Just submit to his correction. You're going to be okay. But see, Zedekiah was more afraid of the, the Jews who had already gone into captivity, thinking that they were going to try to kill him because of all the stuff he had done. Jesus said, don't fear man who can only kill the body, but fear God who can kill the body and put the soul into hell. Fear him. We are so afraid of people, but we're not going to stand before people in the day of judgment. We're not going to stand before our co-workers in the day of judgment. We're not going to stand before politicians in the day of judgment. We will stand 
before God. Actually, I take that back. We, if we're believers, we're not going to stand before God in the day of judgment. We'll stand before the Bema seat. That is the throne of judging according to rewards. Okay, it's very different. Okay, but that being said, we don't need to worry about people. What does God want? What's important to him? He's the one that we're going to live eternally with. He's the one who we should seek to please. So I leave you with this. Jeremiah 39 and 40. When we live for the Lord, it may impact other people's lives. When Nebuchadnezzar came into Judea and into Jerusalem and took Jerusalem, Zedekiah did not obey God. He ran because he was afraid. He disobeyed the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar hunted him down, brought his sons before him, executed them, and then put out Zedekiah's eyes. The last thing he saw in his life was his sons being executed before his eyes. And then he was dragged off in chains into Babylon. Not what God had wanted for him, but that's the route he went. In contrast to this, Nebuchadnezzar says this to Nebuzaradan, his commander, his general. He says, okay, now, I want you to do this concerning Jeremiah. Okay, this is Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to take care of Jeremiah. And I want you to let him know, if he wants to come with me, Back to Babylon, he's welcome and we'll take care of him. If he wants to stay in Judea, in Jerusalem, that's cool too. So I want you to take care of Jeremiah and whatever he tells you to do, do. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. Normally, you know, I used to think until I was going through this, it's like, wait a minute. Daniel was not the first influence in Nebuchadnezzar's life. It was Jeremiah. And Nebuchadnezzar said, you know what, Jeremiah, where, wherever you want to be, man, you go for it. It's, it's yours. You just, whatever you feel is right for you, you go there, we'll take care of you. And the general of the army was commissioned to give him an allowance, food, and a present. So I would encourage you, this is a crazy time we live in. Live in faith and enjoy in the Lord who loves you, who has saved you, who seeks your good, will use tough times to help shape you and help you grow and be more like Jesus. And in the midst of it all, stand for the Lord because you may not have an impact upon the life of somebody you're trying to impact, but there may be somebody else like a Nebuchadnezzar who you never imagined that down the road, he would be writing a portion of scripture in the book of Daniel, proclaiming the glory of the living God. God is the one who knows how everything is gonna pan out. All we need to do is yield to him. He'll take care of everything else.